All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Paul Reed Smith, internationally known guitar maker and musician. He joins us today to talk about his new band, Eight Lock. They have a new album out called Lines Roaring in Quicksand. It's available now on all streaming platforms. And it's a wild group unlike no other. One, it's a star-studded musician cast. And it's an eight-piece band with three drummers. An eight-piece band with three drummers. That's crazy. The members being legendary drummer Dennis Chambers, who played with John Schofield, George Duke, Santana, Parliament, Funkadelic. Also, Gregory and Gary Granger are in the band. Gregory uh, drummed for Whitney Houston, and Gary played bass with John Schofield and George Duke and Bill Evans. Mia Simone Davis is the vocalist of the group. And Mike Olt and Bill Nelson are also on guitar with uh, Paul Reed Smith. And rounding out is Juju House who is Chuck Brown's drummer, right? And Chuck Brown's on this album. It's a crazy cool band. And I, I wanted to take a moment here and mention each member of the band and what they did because Paul talks so highly of everyone in his band throughout this conversation. Like, he adores this group. And I relate to that feeling. The band I play in... I love the guys I play with. It's a very exciting and special thing to be able to have a group of people get behind an idea you have and see it come to life, right? And that's an enthusiasm that's very specific, but if you've experienced that, it's very relatable. So I understand like the love and adornment he has for his group because I feel that with my guys. If you're new to the podcast, I play in a band called C-Level, letter C-Level. High energy funk punk reggae rock group based in Cleveland, Ohio. Anywho, if you've been in a band or a creative project, you've experienced that same same adornment of other people and are inspired by. Now, Paul is a wealth of wisdom, a luthier, a guitarist, a musician, a studio engineer, someone who can mix a record, someone who can build a guitar, someone who can play it, someone who can make it sound right, someone who can organize a whole company, right? Um and one thing I could not, one thing I could not unsee, and that was very uh, prominent in this conversation, is his enthusiasm for those things. This isn't work to him; he's loving it, and that made this conversation a lot of fun. Even got to a point where he was showing me tracks that's going to be on their next release that we had to leave out. But his passion and his excitement for what his group's doing is very, very contagious. That being said, we're going to listen to a track. This is off uh, the album Lions Roaring in Quicksand, available on all streaming platforms. The band is 8Lock, and the track is Sarah. Yeah, long, long. So feel 
Lions Roaring in Quicksand is the album. Sarah is the track. Eight Locks, the band. The album is available now on all streaming platforms. Um, last thing before this chat, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests like Paul and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Paul Reed Smith. Um, well, I, I kind of wanted to start off with your mother. Um, can you tell me about the high-low nylon string guitar? Yeah, it's called a high-low. As far as like a... That was a brand name. Right, right. But was that or one of your first guitars or your first no, guitar? No, it was my mother's guitar. I stole it from her. My, <laughs> mo- my mother was a... The fox went out on a chase one night. She would, she would, she would sing folk songs to us. Yeah. And she was good at it. And she did it when we were children. And we were the family that sang Christmas carols. And we were the family that... You know, we had music on all the time. My mother came home with a record with these four long-haired guys with black T-shirts on. And it's, you know, she goes, they're going to be huge. My brother brings home a record with a black guy with a fro and two white guys with froes. He goes, these guys are going to be huge. That was Hendrix and the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, I, I came from that family. That so Okay, so growing up around music, did everyone play guitar or was it just your mother? No, my father played piano. Okay. Um, my brother played bass and guitar um my brother bob played a little guitar played ukulele they gave me a uke when i was really little um i i love the sound of the guitar most people got into guitar because they wanted to get a date they wanted to get laid i i wanted i I wanted to play i wanted guitar because i like the sound of it i like the music i relate to that man that's (laughs) um so, like, did it make sense when, when your father gave you a uke and, like, seeing it, like, when you picked up the guitar and picked up the uke, did it, like, make sense on how it worked? Was it, like... Yeah, it made complete sense how it worked. That was easy. How yeah. it worked was easy. How to make it do what I wanted it to do, that was another thing. I spent six months in front of a record player learning how to play two notes. On Barbaletta, which was a Santana record, he went, ba-da... And I learned how to do it without an amp. It took me months to figure out how did he get that sound. I learned every single note that Paul Rogers sang on Fire and Water, the record. I learned the vocal. Carlos Santana told me he learned every note Dionne Warwick ever sang because she wasn't too white and wasn't too black. Whoa. Well, that makes sense with like his phrasing, how it sounds like singing, you know? Yeah. Wow. That, okay. So, so you're taking time with this guitar, you're picking out these melodies, and like. The first tune I learned was Day Tripper. Yeah. It's hard to play. It is. Exactly. Yeah, well, it was the first one I learned. Proud Mary was first, and Day Tripper was second. Okay. And your family's like embracing all this right or is this just you experimenting on your own and my father didn't want me to play guitar he wanted nothing to do with it he thought that was he thought it was awful because he had been a band leader and it didn't go anywhere he didn't want me to have that life um i loved guitar what he missed he thought i was going to be a guitar maker in a, in a hermit shop and never deal with anybody the idea that i had to deal with hundreds of people every day was beyond his comprehension was it he was a he was a math teacher right no he was a mathematician he mathematician. built the radars during in world war ii wow 
So my mother was a math teacher. Okay. My mother was a special education teacher. They were both mathematicians. When I cleaned their house and they moved, they had written, they were, they were intellectuals. They had written thousands of documents. They had ideas. They had dreams. They had, well, it was a big deal. But, yeah. you know, I, I didn't even know who I was, my father was until I worked on the patents for the, until I worked on the patents for the, um, that that in digital harmonic are right now. So you know, I don't know. Look, I was raised by a couple of mathematicians who had a love of music, and I absorbed it. And that's the first time that's ever come out of my mouth. <laughs> that's beautiful. And like you know, there's the adage that if you're good at music or if you're good at math, you're good at music. But no, no, it's not true. But <laughs> what is true? What is true is they used to teach math. They used to teach music in the math department at the turn of the century. That's true. Okay. Because I've never had luck with math, man. I've been okay at music, but I've never had luck with math. And well, like, if you think about Gary Granger playing, hold on a second, I got a problem. Okay. Hold on. Um, if you think about Gary Granger playing, um, uh, you think about Gary Granger playing jazz, it's pure math. And they're doing it at an alarming speed. It's unbelievable what these people are doing. So to me, it's a big deal, this math thing. I mean, he's calculating the chords at it's so fast. I mean, you'd have to be a genius to do what Gary does. So fascinating to me so i don't know look i saw i saw him do something once that's not possible to be able to think about these guys are so good at it you think stevie wonders thinking math when he's writing i wish nah it's true it's a to get like a to play to even address all that as it's happening I can see the correlation, like intellectually, if you think about it after the, you know, after the fact. But like, as it's happening, you, I definitely agree. It is a math, but it's definitely more of a feel, at least. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. The whole thing's fascinating to me. Watching watching these geniuses in our music business operate has been just amazing. I mean, there's no question in my mind. That Stevie Wonder and John McLaughlin and Chick Corea, you know, all of them geniuses, stupid, smart, ridiculous. To write like that and to be able to do that for as long as they have, it definitely is unreal. I guess it's unreal. I guess, like, well, as far as like luthier work, uh, the mathematician skills would shine there, right? Well, that's not the way it works. Yeah. But yes. So okay. let's do this. My, I didn't think I had the math gene until my son, who's a math teacher, said, Daddy, you have the gene. I said, you're out of your mind. He goes, no, math is taught three ways. Numerically, one plus one equals two. Um, algebraically, solve for X. And three, graphically, um, which is trigonometry and geometry. And I have that gene. I aced all those tests. Said, Daddy, you got the gene to shift graphics. So that's what a guitar maker does. It rotates the part in his head. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I could do that. <laughs> you have a coffee cup anywhere around? Yeah. Look on the bottom of it. It's got a ring. Yeah, it does. And you know why? <laughs> why is that? Structure? Otherwise, it would rock. Hmm. For me, that's easy. Yeah. I know that your coffee cup has a ring on the bottom. Done. No problem. Isn't that fun? It is. I love that's that. Cool. That's cool. That's well, cool. I, I can see the bottom of your coffee cup in my head. <laughs> It, it is pretty profound and like um, kind of working with the kids I work with that kind of thinking differently of like what func- like what way of learning works. You know, it's always kind of like flipping the script and trying to see it like that. Um, even if it's like a skill set like math, it's an amazing skill set that has a bunch of different areas in which you can understand it. Um, I guess another question with like your uh, guitar journey when did you start studying with Chris? Well, that, I'll tell the story. Okay. I was, hang on a minute. I was at uh, a place in Nashville, real famous place in Nashville, where all the musicians rehearse. And there's this elegant, classy, thin gentleman in front of me. And he's got a red guitar. And he plays three notes. And they're three perfect notes. And then he played four perfect notes. And I looked at him and I, I was standing up. He was sitting down. I said, who are you? Because my name's Chris, Chris Lusinger. And I said, I've heard you play. He goes, yeah, probably. I said, how? He goes, well, I played every note on every Garth Brooks record. And I went, oh, my God. Can I have a guitar lesson? I'll come on my birthday. It'd be my honor so I came to Nashville, and he takes me on the couch, and he listens to me play. And I wanted to be let out of minor chord jail. I wanted to do how minor chords with other inversions in them. Yeah. So he shows me that. And I played him a tune I wrote. He goes, now, Paul, you play, you play ahead. We need to get you on the Memphis side of the beat. You need to – Hendrix played on the Memphis side of the beat, but with a lot of energy. In other words, you got to play behind the beat. You're playing ahead. And he gave me a lesson that changed my life. Now, he's only given me one lesson. But, oh, my God, I played the same notes that I played every other year at the Vintage Guitar Show and said, God, you've gotten so much better. I didn't change one note. I changed where it was in time. Wow. Oh, my God, was he right. That's the power of rhythm, man. Like, you can have all I the... Think- I think the secret old records is they were playing behind a beat. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, Memphis well, side of the note. <laughs> I love the it. The Memphis side. We got to get you on the Memphis side of the beat. So I told Eric Johnson the story. He goes, I always play ahead. I hate it. <laughs> you know what he did during COVID? He practiced with a metronome. Yeah. Oh, my God. Eric's playing at the top of his game. Eric. Eric's a monster. Well, yeah. Complete monster so is john mayer so is carlos santana so is john mclaughlin it's unbelievable how good these guys are it's just frightening eddie van halen was ridiculous he was stupid good jeff beck on a good night uh hold on starts screaming and howling (laughs) i saw jeff beck with tom wheeler yeah. The editor and guitar player. Yeah. And he hit a note and he played the tune 
with the harmonic. He hit the harmonic of the G string, and he played the arm with the he played the tune with the arm, not with his fingers. Huh. We were howling. We yeah. Were, heard anything? It, we thought it was a slide tune. He was doing it with the arm. Whoa. That's ah. These guys are ridiculous. It's another level. It's not even fair. <laughs> but I mean, to even be around to witness it, man. You know, yeah. it's it's a it's a pleasure to be able to just dissect and hear and enjoy from a record. But I mean, in your in your situation, you're getting to know these guys and like seeing the oh whoa, yeah, you're working with a metronome, Eric. I can see that working out for you. You know what I mean? Like no, I didn't say that to him. I, I, I wouldn't but I, but I have but I have said some things to people that I probably shouldn't have, and I've probably said some things to people I probably should have. I mean, name one and I'll tell you what I said to him. Well, I guess what I was going to ask was like kind of being around these like legends and and rock stars, like like seeing human moments like that with like Eric working with a metronome. Like, have you seen moments like with like John Mayer or Carlos Santana like that or talk about? I haven't seen Eric practice with a metronome, but I've seen Carlos Santana practice. Yeah. It's extraordinary. What's that look Look. like? He stand, He sits in the back, plays music, and he plays guitar along with it, and plays all the melodies in the songs along with it. Mm. If there used to be a time where you couldn't find Carlos, he'd be in the back with Chester Thompson watching some video of a new African band trying to figure out what was cool about it. He was always studying. He never stopped. He was going down every rabbit hole there was. John Mayer can play any tune he's ever heard without picking up the guitar. He can pick it up and play it. He's got that guy. I hear him in interviews and he's just always singing, man. That dude is like got melodies falling out his ears. He was a melody machine when he was in my shop. Yeah. I I don't doubt it, man. That's incredible. I'm going to try to think. I saw Jeff Beck play once backstage. In 45 seconds, he went up the neck and down the neck. He started in Broadway music, went to jazz rock, then played Jeff Beck, then went to uh, uh, blues, then went down to Jeff Beck music, and then went back to Broadway, all in 45 seconds seamlessly. And what stunned me about it was not how good a guitar player it was, what Stunned me about it was his depth of musical knowledge. Oh, what he did was unbelievable. And I had been told by Jennifer Batten that he did this backstage. She said, forget what he plays on stage. You should see what he plays backstage. Forget what he plays on stage. You see what he plays backstage. And I didn't understand what she meant until I saw that. He was unbelievable. So to like think of these guys, you know, you're getting the show, you're getting the songs. They know the audience that works with the crowd and works with the group. But yeah. Like, but to see the the madness behind the scene like that, and see what what they're working on, what they're you know what they're most excited about to get ready for you next time. That's that's something, man. That's an incredible experience. Listen, this eight lock thing. Mm-hmm. When Dennis plays, nobody moves. Well, yeah. When Juju plays, nobody moves. When Mia sings, nobody moves. 
when Gary plays, nobody moves. You should watch this stuff go down. It's unbelievable. Watching Dennis play is a spiritual experience. You got three of the greatest drummers in your band, man. Like, that's incredible. How'd you... Greg Granger, everybody knows he's going to lay down the law. Have you seen Go Tell It on the Mountain? Have you ever seen Mia sing that on YouTube? I don't think I've seen her sing that, but I, I can believe it would be amazing. She does it live with no takes. It, it's a Johns Hopkins video. And okay. we were the present for all the employees. And she sings Go Tell It on the Mountain two, three Christmases ago. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-bending. And I get to be around these musicians, and I get to lead them. Uh, you got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm pinching myself. How did a, how'd you start playing with Dennis? Uh, Dennis and Gary have been playing together for decades. They were in Schofield's band together. And we, right. Dennis got sick, and we wrote a song for him called Don't Give Up on Living. Great tune. And we went to Marilyn Hall and said, Dennis, let's do a prototype. So we all got together, and they said, I said, what do you want to do? Dennis said, forget it. Just start playing a tune. So we start playing a tune. And three snare drums and three bass drums are going off at the same time. It scared the crap out of me. And I could hear Dennis think, I didn't like that. <sighs> and and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was frightening. Listen to being in the middle of these three bass drums and snare drums going off like like rock, like like bombs. And... We got done rehearsing the tune, and I said, what do you want to do, Dennis? He said, let's record it. So then we record the tune, we get done. I said, what do you want to do, Dennis? I said, ah, let's do another one. Nobody would go near the studio until they all agreed which tune it was. So me and I were writing, and then I called Dennis up. I said, let's do war. And he goes, we still do that, don't we? In other words, as a human race, we still war. Right. I went, yeah. He goes, ah, okay, let's do it. End of the conversation, it was over. Dennis is Dennis is awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. So Greg Juju's ridiculous. Juju wrote most of those parts. Chuck Brown's drummer wrote most of those parts. That it that it's that makes a lot of sense coming from like a go go a go go band, you know, with all that going on. That yeah, he was Chuck Brown's student. Wow. The only way to talk to Chuck is to talk to Juju. Yeah, because Chuck passed away. How do you know Chuck? Because Chuck's on the record, too. And on previous records. Chuck and I were friends. Yeah. Chuck and I were friends. I met him, and I told my wife, there's nothing there. She goes, oh, you are so wrong. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you are so wrong. You and Chuck are going to be friends. I went, so he used to come and look after us. He would literally come and show up and, and, and spiritually look after us like he was our father. Wow. He would come to all the rehearsals. He'd yeah. come to all the recording sessions, everything. So we invited him to Nashville, to Ricky Skaggs' studio, and he sang Look at the Moon. We erased everything we did that day and kept him 10 years later, put it on a different, on a different beat. That was done at Ricky's place. There's a, there's a space in the white. It rises and lights up the night. Oh, my God beautiful man 
How did so when he's hanging out at rehearsals? What what like? And he's kind of looking over everything. What's like some advice and some like, like how do you know he had approved or what was he like kind of looking at and making you guys think at in different Chuck, ways? Chuck, what do you think? Chuck, what do you think? It's good. We're good. <laughs> Chuck, what do you think? I'm listening to the bass. I'm listening to the bass. Bass is good. What do you, I'm listening to the bass drum. Oh my God, was huge. Yeah. Because you know why we call it go go, right? I said, no. He says, because the drummer has to go go. We don't stop. I said, why do we, he's, he said, you know why we do go-go? We got to eat. He was a jazz piano player and a jazz guitar player. Did go-go for the money. Well, yeah, because go-go was the whole, like, new trend at that time. But, yeah, Chuck's, Chuck's a talent, man. That's incredible to be able to work with him like that. Well, you know what it is? It's all it's yeah. all triplets. It's all one, two, three, two, three, ba, 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 one, two, three, two, three, two, three, and then they leave one out. Now, blues is all triplets. A shuffle is all triplets. These guys all think of triplets. If you go, if you think about busting the ba 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 they live in a world of triplets. That is swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that. I mean, as a guitar player, that's an incredible, incredible lesson on groove just to be around these guys. And then they have this opportunity with this, like, I've never seen a band with three drummers like you're doing to, like, expand upon that and live in that realm. Well, that's, I got to tell you, it's fascinating. Yeah, man. Mind-bogglingly fun. And for me, my job was to bring... Dennis Coffee. My job was to bring tea to Mia. My job was to bring coffee to Gary. My job was to make sure that they were comfortable. My job was to make sure they kept talking. Hold on a second, please. Hold on. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it was fun. But, you know, leading people of that caliber, I, don't, I wouldn't call it scary, but somebody had to do it. Yeah. Look, I kept saying, I don't want what you think I want. I want what you are. I want more Dennis. I want more Juju. I want more Greg. I want more Mia. I want more Gary. I want more Bill. I want more Michael. I don't want what you think I want. Don't try to, don't try to be something you're not. I want you. And they gave me them. That record's full of them. That's solo and driving at night. That's yeah. Michael Alt. Yeah. You've been By working the way, with- hated it. Wanted me to erase it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I thought it was one of the best Steely Dan type solos I'd ever heard in my life. It's, so, with guys like that who who uh, can mold to fit whatever you know, where they weren't molded. I want I wanted to not mold. I exactly, to give me Michael. I wanted Michael. All. These guys are molding themselves to everybody else their whole lives. I didn't want that. I wanted as much Dennis as I could possibly get. I wanted as much Gary. I didn't want Gary to play the way I wanted him to play. I wanted Gary to play the way he plays. The bass, the bass on that record is staggeringly sophisticated. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's pocketed, man. It's tight. But I guess my question with that is like, did they, did they, were they, was that easy for them to do to let go like oh, that? God, yes. Yeah. It was okay. a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. What they thought about was the groove. What's the groove? Right. With three what drummers. What thought about, listen, we had to re-record Man on the Moon because Dennis and Gary and everybody didn't like the groove. They had to change it. 
Dennis called me and says, you got a performance problem. I said, I can fix it in the mix. He says, no, Paul, you have a performance problem. You need to fix it. That's the only time he gave me a hard time out of the whole record. The rest of it, he was thumbs up. I mean, that's, that's pretty good reviews, man. That's, that's a, that's an A <laughs> that's passing. <laughs> I, I, he loves Mia. He thinks Mia's is the best. He goes, I have complete confidence in her. I said, you never told me anything like that. And he goes, you're doing fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what, what a musician. Yeah. What a musician. Dennis isn't about playing licks. Dennis is about the tune, but did you hear the fill in I Doc Door? Yeah. Yeah. That's that he did it the first time. Yeah. Oh my god. Now I wouldn't <laughs> know this except I mixed it. It's I was like, are you kidding me? When he played it, we were all stunned. That's so but just to be in that and taking all that in and to be on the other end mixing it and and contributing oh, that, in that way too. Yeah, was that? You know, we had uh, the band told me I wasn't good enough to do it, and we had to hire somebody from Nashville to help us mix the record. And look up Brent King and look up his discography. It's frightening. Oh yeah, it's two pages of hit records. Did you get to sit with him and mix it with him, or like kind of? He learn? did it with headphones, and yeah. the way he did it was like cleaning a linoleum floor. He got on his hands and knees and cleaned every tile until the floor shined. It was unbelievable to watch. I ran into Clear Mountain the other day. You know what he said to me? He goes, I study Killer Queen. In other words, the greatest mix in rock. I study it all the time. Are you fucking kidding me? It's how smart is that? Right. I mean, Clear Mountain's mixed so many things. It's unbelievable. I, You know, I would love Bob to show up and help. I adore him. I don't like him. I adore him. I, these people that are at the top of their game get out of the way. Getting those three bass drums to sound right in the mix was not easy. Well, no, because there's no bands that do that. But, Did you hear the three hi-hats? You know, it was incredible because when I was listening to it, unless I had headphones, it all sounded like... One. It, right. It sounded like yeah, one. Yeah, but it's not. It's all three. That That's insane. <laughs> we had to invent a new kind of mastering to release the record. Yeah. How, did you hear how much bass we added? Yeah, yeah. Too much bass and too much sub. It's not implied sub. There's real sub on that record. That took a long time. Well, yeah. That took a long time to invent a new way to master the record. Because we had not experienced this before. And and we did it different. Most people had a tremendous amount of high, high end. It's full of beautiful high mid-range and bass. No, it's definitely an overall like rounded mix. And like to th- with all that going into it, like I guess when mastering started, did you guys think that you would have to invent this new way of mastering with all that? No. That, yeah? <laughs> no, I, I had taken these mixes to, to uh, some, some of the best mastering engineers in the world, and what I got back was really good, but not what my musicians wanted. What they wanted was something different. They Look, with all due respect, black musicians like bass. All when musicians George like bass. 
when George Morris Massenburg was mixing yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire, yeah, he he was taken outside. He says, "If my band can't feel it, they're going to fire you." And George had to turn it up in the control room with the bass up. He had to. He told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know something. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Right. So we, we, we got a hold of the bass. I, I had a Grammy award-winning mastering engineer tell me the other day he'd never heard the sub under such control. I thought we did a good job. I was happy with it. Yeah, no, it's incredible. It's an incre- especially the work around all that, man. Yeah, well, what, what choice did I have? I had three drummers, and they all wanted to hear everything. It needed to be clear as a bell and big. What I didn't want is a really thin, really thin mix. So, like, I guess once all that's there and, like, would are you guys, like, bouncing files back and forth? No. No? We you coming in the room? Studio. No, no, no. Not one time. Not one. No, you need human interaction. Right. No, 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 no. They all showed up and played. Well, I guess I, guess I meant more with, like, listening to masters and, like, hearing oh, all this back. We- yeah, we, we we yes. Okay. It would we would send it and would say, mix five, do not share. Mix six, do not share. Mix six, master two, do not share. We got it right on average about the sixth or seventh time each time. Now I get I, I know every recording in every band and situation is unique, um, but as someone who's working overall with tone with what you do with uh, luthier work. Do you find any similarities in like kind of mixing a band and mastering Absolutely. a band? Yeah? Absolutely. I'm EQing guitars, we're EQing instruments. EQ is easy for me because that's what a pickup is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an EQ device. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, making a pickup is, 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 is about getting its equalization correct. For me, I love... You know, I feel like that was the one thing I was really good at. I think I was good at making the guitar sound good. It took me the longest to get the bass to sound good. It was easy. It took a long time to figure the bass out. The bass drums I was pretty good at. The guitars I was great at. The vocals were always a struggle, but we got it. The vocal has to sound right in your face without sounding thin. Right. So how did you find it? What was your, I guess, your workaround with that? We found an EQ that sounds natural, okay. made by Weiss. They they released a software version of it, and it sounds delicious. And when we had that tool, we could go to the races. And, like, I guess another kind of, like, comparison, do you find, like, with because with writing, do you see a similarity in your other work? No. No? Writing is being trapped on an airplane. You can't move. Yeah. And you have all these thoughts and you write out a poem. You take it home. So don't give up on living. My daughter wrote Phoenix in my blood. Um, Driving at night was a tune about the fantasy of having a good relationship. I can't breathe was about being in situations where you can't breathe. You have a static rest and you can't breathe. Um, uh, all kinds of things. I, for me, name a song and I'll tell you what it's about. One once I wanted to ask about uh, ninety nine in its relation. Ninety nine was written by Elliot Moss. Okay, but the ones. Well, okay. 
going back, I guess, look at the moon. Because that, that look tune... At the moon was written for my wife. She had surgery, and I wanted to be able to have a song that I could sing her on the side of the bed when she came back from the hospital. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, and then you're like, here's one with, with Chuck Brown. <laughs> well, I was, in, I was in St. Thomas with Paige, and she goes, look at the moon. Every time I see it, I feel blessed. I was writing so fast. So I, that was going to be my next question is like, is it an inspiration thing or is it a practice thing? Because some people sit down for whatever and write for a bit and some people no, take those nuggets. No, that's not the way it works. They come when they come. Yeah. We've, we've, we've gone after Sarah, that song, three times and finally caught it. We've gone after Breathe two or three times. Um, a lot of these tunes are old tunes. We've been we've gone after Man on the Moon three times. Finally got it. Sarah kind of reminds me of a whipping post in a way. I think it's like the it's like the shuffle or the time signature. So whipping post is in five. That's in seven. That's in seven. Yeah. So whipping post. And this is. Swinging in seven. That was Gary's idea. Yeah. The seven was my idea. Gary was the one who said swinging. That's a hell of an opener, man. When Mark sent it to me, I was like, oh man, this record slaps. This is where it's at. And that was before, because I, I like to listen you know to everything. You why we started it with that tune? Why? No, nobody's ever heard a rock band swing in seven. <laughs> well, yeah. Only Gary would come up with that shit. I played him the tune, and he goes, let's swing it. I went, what are you talking about? And he played it. It's been that way ever since. I mean, it's it's a dunta dunta. It's all triplets. But Gary was the one that decided that. I can't believe what he did to my tune. That was about my daughter, and it used to be called Blue Sarah, and now it's called Sarah. And I thought Mia and Gary, and I think everybody did it justice. No, definitely. But the reason we made it first was because, what in the hell? When I heard the mix, I went, my, my friends in my at PRS said, We've never heard anything like that. And that was the moment we decided to make it first. That's a good call. Well, I didn't call it. I guess I did, but they said, we've never heard anything like that in our lives. And I went, well, then that's, we got to start the record with that. It was a ballsy call to start the record swinging in seven. Well, it's also interesting too. Like as much as like music is like one's expression, like when it comes to like like these ideas, like stuff like that, a lot of it is kind of taking other people's like experience with it, you know. Like as far as like mixing and mastering for a band, or putting or arranging a tune, or arranging a set list, going off how a crowd works, it's like so much of it is interacting with someone else's experience and balancing that what you have to say and how to do it with how they are reacting and like encouraging. Well. Okay, so that would be the perfect way of describing how that tune evolves. By the way, we've gone after it three times. There's been three releases of that tune, and they all failed, but that one didn't fail. And Gary and I have been arguing 
for over a decade. He goes, release it, release it, release it. I said, it's not good enough. Release it, release it, release it. It's not good enough. And he's mad at me. And then when we did that, I said, that's good enough. He goes, okay, let's go. Listen, Dad liked the tune. Juju liked the tune. Greg liked the tune. Mia liked the tune. Michael liked the tune. Bill liked the tune. I liked the tune. Everybody liked the tune. It's all about the song. It's important. We got a new tune that we want to release that's not on the record. Yeah. And I, I have a radio song in the can. Yeah. Uh, it's called Superlock. It's ridiculous. Well, I got to imagine it's, it's, it's eight ridiculous. people locked in and like. Well, it's about ha- going to a party. And we got a real lock. We got a super lock. Our bond is super locked. It's about being tied together as friends. I could play it for you. Then I could kill you. I mean, I could go <laughs> up there and turn it on. We have a radio song in the can. Maybe I'll just do that. You want me to just go upstairs and play it for you? If you want to have a real interview, you know something? Let me just play this tune because you're not going to know. It's ridiculous. It's not fair. I mean, hold on, and I'll just do it. Why not? All right. Well, I'll I'll turn off the recorder for that. I won't. I won't. I'll wait till you guys are ready to share that. But I'll gladly listen to it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They hung up on it. Uh, you got okay. it. It's infectious as shit. That is definitely grooving, man. I can hear what you're talking about with like those core. Like it's. Over the phone, I'm hearing some weird, you know, phone sounds and not hearing everything super clear. But like, I can hear where the guitar is fitting in, and she, Mia kills it, man. She's so good. I think she's really something. Anyway, we really like that tune. Well, look, you know something? Let me let me, just, let me just open up another tune. Here's another tune, okay? Okay. I'm gonna play "I Cry." Oh my God! Hold on to your seat. Beautiful tune. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's like some B.B. King kind of phrasing going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, there's 16 of them sitting in the can. So are you guys... Got the demo. That's not the real version. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I but can... it ain't bad. It don't suck. No, not at all. Like, going listening through this record and the, the other one I found was Testify, um, like... Everyone's so tight and pristine, and you can tell, like, you guys, performance-wise, took so much time to nail that, right? And I know it's a level of expertise, you know? Maybe maybe it was, you know, for, for Dennis, it was one fill, you know, or one take on that. No, but... for Dennis, it was a feeling. For Dennis, it was a looking after his brood. He sat in the back with his coffee and watched. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's a good teacher. He teaches way different. What? How? What, can you explain? How? Like how? How he teaches? He teaches by watching. By watching. I'm in the room. You better do good. <laughs> okay. Okay. I got it. You got oh, the I'm sorry, it's Dennis Chambers. Come on, man. Yeah. Okay. All right. I <laughs> know. Uh, he teaches. Gary told me that the way he teaches is experiential. It is not words. If I'm going to be in the room, you better produce, bud. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he looked, yeah. He looked after his brood. You don't think Mia wanted to sing better because Dennis was in the room? Oh, come on, man. It's not fair. 
Oh, that's so cool though. But I mean, I mean, regardless, it's the whole the whole record that is out now is there's the attention, the detail, the work that's put in is there. And like listening to it, well, that's, that's very sweet of you. Can you tell the world that? I've, that's what I'm doing right now, man. <laughs> oh, listen, I am so pleased with these musicians. I thought they came and brought. They say they brought it. They brought it. These guys, this woman, and these guys brought it. I can't even believe I was in the middle of it, but nobody else was going to organize it but me. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of these. These musicians have been in every band there is, and I wanted them to be them, not somebody else. It takes a it takes a special person to kind of gather the cats, right? To, yeah, gather the cats, right. <laughs> to gather That's the a good way to put it. I had to gather the cats. But if you were in the middle of Dennis Chambers and Gary Granger and Mia, would you gather the cats? Of course you would. <laughs> I would try, man, but, man, it takes... Of course you'd try. That's all I did. I tried. Fair how good they are. It's just not fair. <laughs> but, man, how lucky to be in in that gathering of the cats, man. Like, well, all right. So, but if you're there, what are you going to do? Nothing? No, you're going to give it your all, right? Right. You're going to, you're going to say, okay, let's go. Dennis is pleased. Gary's pleased. Greg is pleased. Mia's pleased. Bill is pleased. Michael's pleased. Juju is pleased. Greg is pleased. There are eight of us and we're pleased. By the way, we don't argue. What we do is get in and have at it. And Dennis said, at least everybody's communicating. That is definitely key to making any group work. Is... Well, get out of the way, because I wouldn't. Have been pro- around a really good band? A really good band is like a motorcycle gang that'll take your head off. That's true. I wouldn't want to mess with this group. I wouldn't want to play before us, and I wouldn't want to play after us. It's a force to be reckoned with and competitive. Neil Sean told me once, he goes, you know something, Paul? We had an opening act. They quit. We got a new band for Australia, no big deal. And we had to fight for our lives every night. The new band was called ACDC. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're definitely fighting for your life with that one. Holy cow. They were fighting for our lives. Yeah. And I don't care if the PA was quiet or not. Oh, my God. I mean, have you ever been around a band that's a force to be reckoned with? Have you ever been around a band you're like, are you kidding me? These bands are competitive. Yeah, yeah. They take your head off. I wouldn't want to be around this band. We're going to, I'm sorry, we're not going to lay down because somebody else played. It ain't going to happen. And by the way, without that record, we have no chance of playing. We need a calling card. That record is our calling card. Right. And I right. have this new tune to put to put out, which is called Superlock. And I think, I think I can convince the record company to put it out because that's what bands do. They put out a record and then they do all these singles. Right. Well, I mean, from what I heard, I don't, I don't think it'll be too hard to convince them <laughs> to put it nah, out, man. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Sorry. I, I, I may be biased, man. I mean, my, I may be biased, but I dig it. Talking to somebody thinks they know it. Oh shit! 
<laughs> but I kind of. Where do you live? I like you. Where do you live? I'm in Cleveland. I'm in Cleveland. And what? Do you, and, and you? And what is this thing going out on? What it's, is this? What? Well, aside from all that cool stuff you showed me, um, this is a podcast. A podcast called Zig at the Gig. So you're gonna put this out as I said it. Yeah, I'll keep everything in unless you don't want me. Like, I said some screwed up stuff. I'll keep, I'll take anything you don't want ah, out, my dude. I'll leave it all in. What do I care? I don't give a crap. You know something? It? I want my musicians to have a chance, and you're going to give us a chance, and that's all I want. Well, well, that's fair. Tell everybody that I'm on, and let's go. I will do. Um, one thing I, before. You got, a, you, got a, you got a beautiful intellect. Well, thank you. So that, that means the world coming from you, man. Well, you have a beautiful intellect. People need to listen to you. Well, thank you, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. I've, I was lucky yeah. enough to talk to some really cool people, you being one of them. Um, Fair enough. But uh, one thing before kind of leaving this group and being stuck in this group, every and like getting ready to talk with you, I've dove into a bunch of interviews and uh, read a bunch of interviews. And like it's for a group like this, they I know like and I feel your passion for your 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 group here. And that's super inspiring to me. And like from other interviews, that's this gleaming characteristic that really brought you to life in my world. And like I really they I guarantee see that as well. Like, you, I mean, you, you got heavy hitters, man, but like heavy hitters are only going to get behind someone they believe. So I want I wanted to like plot that there because like I definitely think well, they believe in it. I gotta tell you, some of the solos on that record I'm proud of. So, <laughs> Good, you should be, man. They're ripping. Some of the arrangements I'm proud of. Some of the tune writing I'm proud of. Some of the guitar playing I'm proud of. Um, I don't know. It depends on which tune it is. I could tell you how I feel about each one, but. Tell your audience I really appreciate that you, that you had me on. I really appreciate. It. Will do, man. Um, and I guess, can I? Do you have time for two more questions? Can I bug you with two more things? I have time for two more questions. Let's go. All right. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this. Um, so, one, I guess, kind of building off that, like I listened to you in an interview, and you brought up these two things, one of which was. You, you were given a graduation speech, and to get ready for it, you talked to all the kids as opposed to just That's getting right. up on the podium. There's and, no way to walk up on a graduation thing and not know what you're talking about. When I graduated, the guy knew who, didn't know who we were, didn't give a shit who we were, and never asked who we were, and I was offended. So I interviewed the kids. And, like, that I thought was so cool, and I thought that spoke so highly of who you were. Then, in another in another interview, the it was a it was a group of uh, musicians I think, and they were interviewing you, and they like they brought up a joke. They're like, "Oh, can you adopt me?" And it went into this whole um, real part of your life how you bring people in, and like to land. I, guess, I don't remember. I don't remember what you're talking about, but it sounds like me. And like to land my point with with uh, this band. That like those characteristics, I was like, man, this guy is a real deal. And like in your music, I hear that. In the guitars you make, I see that. I feel that. And I think that's just an incredible characteristic. And I'm glad to see that 
you have a group of people that believe in you as much as you believe in them. Um, For us, it's lifelong friends busting our ass to try to do the right thing. I was offended that these guys were that good and they were just helping other people. I wanted them to help themselves. Well, that's... and. You're doing it, man. This is an incredible I'm record. Trying. You're I'm, doing it. I'm You're trying. doing it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Look, this record's probably going to go Tupperware, but it's getting really good international reviews. Do you know that it was played for everybody in China? Yeah. I heard that. Huh? I, so, Yodai, Yodai played it yeah. on national radio every song on national radio in, in china <laughs> whoa man which i thought was great yeah it's like bless your heart you'll die that's incredible whoever got and that the, <laughs> yeah well but but the people in in china don't talk to the people in the u.s so you don't know right 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 but i want i want this band to go play in china i'd like this band to go play in cleveland i like this band to go play in chicago I like this band to play everywhere. It's interesting. I've talked with a few people who uh, I've talked with some musicians from China, and like they're they're I guess they're expats, right? And they have mixed kind of groups, and like it's a real interesting process to like set up shows there, man. Like, yeah, well, that's interesting, right? Right, know. and it's not it's, it's not a dig. Complicated it's, affair. Yeah, that I don't understand. I want to understand it, but I don't understand it. Look, concert promoters are a different breed. That's that's true. <laughs> that's true, man. <laughs> They're a different breed. And quite uh, frankly, wow. <laughs> I mean, look, a musician's dream is to play in front of, you know, 10,000 people and, and extend their music into them. And, and these concert promoters give musicians a chance to do that. And I'm sure there's a lot of deeply disturbing politics that go on around it, but yeah. it doesn't really matter what to the thing I say about musicians is once you give them the hour on the stage, no, hardly ever do they turn power off. They get their hour, they get their time with the audience. And I think that's beautiful. Mm. It's like you and me. Now I get my time on the air. Mm. You get your time on the air. Nobody takes it away from you. Right, right. I think that's really cool. I, and I think that's well said. Um, but, okay, the two questions, one of which, you you were friends with Danny Gatton? Yeah, I knew him well. Yeah? I've been studying those Hot Lick DVDs for forever, man, trying to get those under my fingers. That guy was a monster, can you tell me a little bit about, about being with him and like Danny was gentle. He was beautiful. He was re- deeply talented. We would stand in the clubs and wait for him to take our heads off. And we knew it was going to happen sometime in the first and second set, but we didn't know when we'd all stand there and wait for it to happen. Um, his protege and his friend works for me, Jay Monterose. Mm. Um, we shared a band I was in one band. I was in the same band he was in. He was it was the Danny Gatton band, and when he was with us, it was the Dragons. And we had the same drummer and bass player, so I was at his service. I don't know. I I, I thought the world of Danny. Danny was nice to me. 
He gave me opportunities to make and repair stuff for people I wouldn't normally do. Danny was beautiful. Um, I think he was thought of himself as the forgotten guitar player. It was probably hard for him to be that deeply talented. And he was known as the best unknown, unknown guitar player. Um, I think he had more of a management problem than he knew, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. John Previty and Tim Beery was the bass player and drummer in that band. Um, of all things, I used to mix for out front for um, Roy Buchanan, who was one of Danny's teachers. Hmm. Um, there was a guitar playing in D.C. that was not to be messed with. One point, the story about Danny, that he was so good when he played his best licks, he turned his back on the audience so the guitar players couldn't steal him. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Danny was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, still is I a force. I loved him. The last thing he ever said to me, he says, can you make me a guitar that looks like an F5 mandolin? I said, sure. That's the last thing we said to each other. Did you make that guitar? I was at his service. I was at his service. It wasn't yeah. fun because well, of course not. the band members didn't just lose their their bandmate. They lost their boss. They lost their friend. They lost their mentor. They lost all kinds of people that day. And it's just the fall of an icon for the guitar, and like yeah, well, there's that too, right? But I right, wasn't even but talking about that. Yeah, I was talking about I was talking about what the band members lost. They didn't just lose their friend. They lost their job. They lost their band leader. They yes. lost their friend. They lost their mentor. They lost all kinds of crap. That was a heavy day. Yeah. Band was over that day. Done. No Danny, no band. Yeah, man. There's no coming back from that. Did Did you ever build that guitar, though? No. 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 We never had the second conversation. That was the last thing he ever said to me. But um, The last thing he ever said to me. Uh, Danny was always really nice to me. Mm. He was always very sweet. I was a repairman for him when he had his guitar shop. I, Danny was cool. By the way, it was fun for me to play the that new tune super lot for you. Yeah, it was. It's, it was an honor to be able to hear it, man. I really appreciate that. I like it. It sounds like I want to take you higher, mixed with Billy Jean, mixed with um, what's that tune? Uh, one night in Bangkok. Um, one night in Bangkok. Ba, 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 da, 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 da. Oh, what a tune! Yeah, yeah, huge hit, monster hit. Um, and one more question: Can you tell? Did you ever buy dinner for Jill Walsh? Being a no, Cleveland, no, <laughs> no. But yet, <laughs> how do you know about that? Because I'm gonna buy him dinner, you know, in two weeks. Really? Yep. No way. How do you know about that? I don't. I how don't do know, know about that? that. I don't know about. How that. do you know about that? <laughs> what is it? How do you know? I want to know how you know that I'm gonna buy Joe Walsh dinner in two weeks. How do you know that? I, I did not know that's where that was going. I heard on an interview, just. That I wish I knew Joe Walsh, and I wish I knew he told me he was meeting up with you. But I heard on an interview you just told the story about how Joe Walsh really uh, spoke highly of PRSs at first, and then you said I'm going to buy him dinner one day. It hasn't happened yet, <laughs> so I just well, made a note of that. Yeah, to happen. 
It's supposed to happen in a week and a half. Oh, my God. That's incredible. No, no, no. Look, Joe Walsh is one of our geniuses. Joe Walsh plays melodies. Joe Walsh plays music. Joe Walsh is ridiculous. I said, Joe, why do you, how do you play so melodic? He goes, I don't know. I never, I never thought about it. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was James Gang. Uh, if you didn't play a melody, you couldn't play in a three-piece. Yeah, with a three-piece, you had to play melodies. Otherwise, there wasn't anything there. Oh, my God. So how did you do the solos in Hotel California? He goes, well, we had the descending lines. Everything else was off the cuff. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Really? You and Felder played those melodies off the cuff? Oh, those are some oh, of the most God. singable guitar melodies. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, holy cow. It was ridiculous. He said it. That was Joe. He said it. <laughs> oh, man. That's right, man. So, so let me tell you what his, his answering machine is. Big maybe call. I'm like. <laughs> I called him up. I said, Joe, you can't say that. He goes, what else am I going to say? <laughs> oh, my God. He's unbelievable. <laughs> he's, he's, he's musical royalty. Oh, my God. That's so cool. He's ridiculous. I adore Joe Walsh, not in any kind of bad way, but as a musician, I saw his band from the stage once. It sounded like somebody dropped the needle down on the record. Yeah. Oh, my God. Al Cooper was playing keyboards. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be kidding me. It literally sounds like somebody dropped the needle down on the record while they're playing. I never heard anything like it in my life. I was like, are you that good? The answer was yes. And, the, and he's telling me that the reason... He plays so melodically as he started in a three-piece band, and without melodies, it didn't it didn't work. It's brilliant. It it makes sense. It, it, makes, it sense. makes of course it makes yeah. sense. Bill Walsh is musical royalty. Done. He's look, who else is musical royalty? Stevie Wonder. Yes. 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 Derek Trucks. Yes. <laughs> I'm Carlos sorry, Santana, John Mayer. Carlos, oh, sorry, John Mayer. I'm uh, sorry, John Mayer. Okay, Carlos Santana has musical royalty all over the place. Mark Tremonti is musical royalty. He changed the face of rock. There's a video online of me playing "Rise Up" with them. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen it? Mm -hmm. You know why I went after Miles? No. When we're standing there, because Mark had spent 25 minutes teaching me the tune, and I had it. So I went after Kennedy, because I knew the tune. Bless his heart for making sure I knew the song. He spent 25 minutes teaching me that tune backstage. I didn't have to look at Mark's hands to see where I was. I knew the tune. And so I went after, I went after Kennedy. Wow. What a band. By the way, the drummer in that band, he's really good. Scott's really good. People don't really understand how good that band is. They play, when they go over in Europe, they're playing nothing but festivals. 
it's yeah, it's it's amazing. People miss it. You know what I mean? Like clearly, you're witnessing something amazing here. But how how like just certain parts of the world just water that plant way more <laughs> than other places. But I guess I guess yeah. looking at it like that, it's kind of like the environment for the plant I, to grow. I adore, but, I I adore good musicianship. I stood on the stage with Carlos Santana once behind Return to Forever. Wow. We danced the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I thought that was the Romantic Warrior Tour. Yeah. Oh, my God. Were they good? They weren't kind of good. It was on another level good. Now, I remember hearing a story of you sneaking into one of their concerts uh, the first time you saw them. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> I told I told uh, I told Stanley Clark the other day. You remember the kid that couldn't control himself in front of you? Yeah. Hi, Stanley. How are you? I'm making guitars. You remember him? He goes, "Yeah." I said, "That was me." He goes, "Oh my God, Paul." <laughs> he remembered. Yeah. He goes, "Oh my God, Paul." I couldn't control myself. What's Stanley my voice Clark? Lost. Yeah. I'm sorry. At the time. He was the only bass player to ever be on the cover of Guitar Player magazine. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. He was an absolute musical royalty. Stanley <laughs> Clark. I knew you the doors. You could calm down, kid. Oh my God! I knocked on the door. Oh shit! That was not a good scene. But you you made a mark, man. I mean, you only no, learned. You I only made a learned mark on him <laughs> that I cleaned up. 35 years later and you cleaned it up not too many not people get that because that was you i went i'm so sorry stanley that was me he remembered oh, Duh. Duh. oh yeah so if you wanted a podcast i gave you one you sure did man paul thank you so much for your time thank you You're so welcome. much for your music I, I wish you all the luck in you in your life in your world in your business and all of that i i hope i hope this all goes well for you Likewise. I, I made some outrageous statements. I should be shot. <laughs> Not true at all, man. And like I'm saying, I'll, I'll cut out the music so no one hears that. Yeah. I'll keep that to ah, you guys. Whatever. I don't really care. All right. We're good. Thank you. All right, Paul. Thank you. You have all a good right. one. Yeah. I'll all send right, this to Mark. And good luck with everything. I'm excited to hear the next record when it comes out, man. All right. See you. Thank you. Sounds right, good. Bye -bye. Later. Good job. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.